Hey you, this is Sasha Xiao, and you're listening to Dear Seekers. Before introducing today's guest, I'd love to take a moment to talk about this new thing we are doing, called Open Mic. So this is how it works: you, the listener, whoever you are, wherever you are. If you have some thoughts, questions, or new perspectives you'd like to share, simply just record something with your phone and send MP3 or WAV file to heyideaseekers.com. Please share your name and a little bit about who you are in the beginning of the recording. It's that simple. I've been wanting to do this for quite a while, but my fear got in the way. I was worried that no one would send me anything. How embarrassing that would be! But in the last episode, I somehow got the strength to follow my gut. I seek to surrender and let things unfold. So if no one sends me anything, that's fine. It's not the end of the world. But during <laughs> a recording showed up in my mailbox a few days ago. I don't know why I made that sound. But here is a snippet. Hello, my name is Shayla Bonds, and I am 27, and I live in Toronto. I think there's this reoccurring theme throughout these interviews. Of you have to so we will share the full thing at the end of this episode. Thank you, Shayla, for being the first open mic seeker. Now let me introduce you today's guest, Tonya Papanikolov. To be honest, Tonya doesn't really need any introduction. If you don't know her, she's a holistic nutritionist and an educator. But she's way more than just that. You may have seen Tonya occasionally models for independent brands. Her outside beauty is undeniable. But what makes her even more lovable is her strong ties to nutrition, nature, and holistic beauty. She is a brain and a facilitator behind her community, the Well Women. She hopes to inspire and encourage modern women to take a slowed down, in-depth, and holistic approach towards wellness and beauty. She hosts workshops, consultations, and experimental dinners, and she also has an interview series on her website called Good Morning Interviews. That let readers peek into the lives of women who know the power of ritual during the sacred morning hours. During our chat, Tonya shares her journey from nutrition to fashion, and then back to nutrition. She talks about how a healthy relationship with money looks like, and what I totally didn't expect was at one point. She somehow became my mentor and a therapist, connecting the dots of my life for me. This conversation was so good. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for saying yes to Dear Seekers podcast, Tonya from The Wet Woman. Thank you so much. It's my honor. Thank you for asking me. And I know we've been trying to make this work for a few months. So yeah. Well, how did that happen? Finally happening. Yeah. But. Thank you, and thank it's, it's thank、so、you for having me. It's such a、um, very beautiful space here. It's very peaceful. Thank you. How was your morning? My morning was wonderful.、Um, I slept in. I had a really good sleep last night.、Oh, that's good. Woke up with my boyfriend. It was great. That's great. Yeah.、Um, so you were born and raised in Toronto, right? I was born in Toronto. Grew up in. 
uh, Markham mostly. Oh, really? Yeah. My aunt lives there. Oh, nice. Yeah, I cool. hate Markham. <laughs> I, I'm not that big of a fan of it either right. anymore. I mean, my parents still live there, mm-hmm. and I go and visit uh, pretty often. But it's been a while since I've lived there, and I don't think I would ever choose to live there again. But my grandparents both lived in Toronto, um, close to the beaches, so I spent a lot of time there growing up. Our, my parents both worked, so mm-hmm. summers we would spend with our grandparents and kind of like after schools, they would take mm-hmm. care of us and that kind of thing. So I have lots of memories just growing up and spending time with them there. And specifically with my grandpa and like walking the big rocks around the beaches. It was really, really nice memories. And then I moved to Guelph for university. And mm-hmm. then from there, I moved to Toronto. What did you study at Guelph? I studied nutrition and nutraceutical sciences. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been interested in nutrition since I can remember. That dates back into like the teenage years so I chose my university based on having a good nutrition program and I actually went into it thinking that I was really obsessed with cereal when I was a little girl and really yeah and teenager (laughs) it sounds so weird so I chose my university because I wanted to create my own cereal and Guelph had a really good food science and nutrition program so that's so specific it's so specific I know it was it was kind of strange but Quickly, I so I enrolled into a food science program, and quickly after a few courses, I realized, well, this has nothing to do with nutrition. Mm-hmm. I don't actually want to do this. I don't want to be a scientist in this capacity, so I switched out. So now looking back, what kind of you know childhood memories you have, you feel like have shaped who you are today? Whether mm-hmm. I was like going to visit in Markham or living in the beaches well, with your grandparents. I one that um, one that really stands out... Well, yeah, there's so many. I mean, there's I have so many good memories of spending lots of time with the like young girls that I grew up with on our block, and we would build lots of tree houses and just be outdoors as much as we possibly could, and have these secret like forts and mm-hmm. all the, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, Sounds very dreamy. It was it was fun and dreamy. We were dreamers. That's a good memory. Definitely time with my grandparents. What kind of women were you looking up to that you want to emulate when you grow up? I get, well, it didn't really, it wasn't that I necessarily knew. I had really good role models. I didn't know that I was looking up to them specifically because you don't approach it from that kind of perspective as a kid. But definitely my mom, who was the breadwinner of our family and a very strong woman and mm-hmm. made lots of sacrifices for the family and that kind of thing. She has been a huge role model for me in seeing kind of what women are capable of. It's never really been a question of, I think when you see that programming and that is your programming from such a young age, there's not Mm -hmm. really any other options. It's just the way things are. Whereas when it's the opposite of that, then that's when the programming can be a little bit more difficult to shift. So I definitely had my mom as a really amazing role model and my dad was as well. But um, from a female's perspective, my mom was... It was kind of a a matriarchal family. And my sister as well was a huge influence. And um, I mean, how much younger she is? She's actually two years older. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we've been best friends um, forever. I mean, we had our differences growing up in some ways, but we were always friends and always had so much fun with each other. Um, We'd fight about clothes, clothing, and the normal kind of girly stuff. But yeah, she was a really amazing role model in so many different ways. And I think we both definitely influenced each other in 
and continue to and will continue to throughout our lives. So what kind of childhood did you have? I, well, it's funny. So one of the memories that I'll have with me forever, I don't know if it's mostly because I remember it or because my mom tells me about it, but it's a funny one that I love. I was a pretty strong little girl and I had lots of, I just knew the way that I wanted things to be done. And I was a leader from a young age. And so I have this memory of being in junior kindergarten and I was really obsessed with rainbows. It was the only thing I ever drew. I just loved rainbows. So I started drawing rainbows in class and other kids started also like wanting to draw rainbows. And so I apparently just like got up in front of them and I was like, no, you know, you got to do your rainbows in a really specific way. This is the way. Let me show you how. (laughs) What was your rainbow like? I don't know. (laughs) It was was probably a, a terrible, no, I'm sure it was just a classic. What kind of color palette did you put in your rainbow? I think it was probably the pretty classic, like Mm -hmm. Roy G. Bibb, really bright, bright. I don't think we were using too many fancy pastels at that elementary school, but that's a memory that sticks out. I didn't ever feel like I didn't fit in. I definitely was very strong opinioned with like boys and, you know, would tell them to like, just tell them off from a very young age. Really? Yeah. Also in junior kindergarten, I started just ordering them all around and telling them that, you know, my friend Tara and I, that they wouldn't be able to accompany us to the office for (laughs) the attendance delivery. So I was, uh, I wasn't afraid to speak out and that's a quality that I actually really like in myself. And I think that as kids, we're so connected to this essence that we have. And then as we get programmed and socialized and all that stuff, we kind of lose pieces of that. So those are memories that I like to hold on to because it reminds me that even as a young girl, I was very strong and in moments where, you know, you don't feel strong in everyday adulthood. In those moments, it's nice to remind myself that like, you know what, that's actually not my nature. And yeah, it's just a really nice thing to come back to. Right. And it's kind of interesting hearing you talking about your leadership quality when you were a kid. That kind of makes sense why I feel like you were the older sister. That leadership quality always there when you're growing up? I think so. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that when, if it's there, it's always there. There were definitely things, you know, I really looked up to her and definitely things that when she did, I wanted to do too. What kind of things? um, Or like if it was something that she had. Oh, I remember when she was going to school and I was three and she was five. And I was like, two more years of this shit? Like, what? I want to go to school now. (laughs) Like, I'm not watching TV. So I remember always just having this like really strong desire to catch up catch up and just like be there I remember not wanting to waste any time I was so ready for school to start I've always been really eager I think that's also translated into qualities of leadership in various ways is that uh, I'm just really excitable and excited to do Mm -hmm. the things and have a really strong desire to do them Right. So fast forward, now you go into university in Guelph and then you realize that's not something that you want to dig deeper into. So what happened after that? I spent my four years in university studying nutrition. The first couple of years were a bit of a struggle with... only Well, only because I was in a really intense Bachelor of Science program and I really just wanted to study nutrition. Um, but you have to obviously get through your core courses. Um, But come third year, when I actually started to get to take those courses that I was in university for, I started to really excel and become so much more interested in my program and 
um, got onto like our board and council and started to just be more involved. It's funny. I mean, you're, I was 18 to 21 mm-hmm. doing that program. Such a baby. That's such a young yeah. age. So of course, if I were to do it now again, it would be such a different experience. What would you do differently? Um, hmm. Well, I mean, definitely come in my fourth year, I hadn't really considered what I would do as a job. So I think that teenagers at that age need better counseling around like what what is the job that you actually envision for your life? Mm-hmm. What do you envision your early 20s looking like? Um, so in my fourth year, when I started to learn about more of the jobs that were available to me coming out of university, I was really uninterested in most of them. I didn't want to work at a nutraceutical company. I didn't want to work at Nestle. I didn't want to work in the soy industry. I could not see myself in any corporate setting in that capacity. And although I didn't really know it at the time, I just needed to grow and develop in another way, which was Mm -hmm. creatively and in have a bit more business skills. And I I probably also would have minored in something. Going back, I mean, it's so easy. Hindsight is 2020. Uh, to look back on the things that you would have done, I probably would have done a semester abroad. I mean, lots of things, but all in all, I mean, it was still such an amazing time. Mm-hmm. After graduating from university, Tonya knew nutrition was what got her excited, but she wasn't sure how to pursue it as a career. I thought that maybe nutrition was going to be a bit more of a hobby. So I was like, okay, I'll just put this on the shelf for now. I really like nutrition, but mm-hmm. maybe this is not my career path. So I ended up doing a postgraduate program. I did an internship, and then I ended up doing another internship at Holtz, and that was kind of my foray into fashion. What was your internship? It was um, in the fashion office. Mm. So it was with Barb Atkin and um, yeah, it was a really fun job that I was in for f- a few years, three or three years, I so think. So were you working with Mackenzie? Yeah. She, she yes, was also was. one of our guests. Yeah. Oh, really? So yeah. you were, guys were actually working together. Yeah, we became really close friends. Um, mm-hmm. We were working together. I was her intern. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, her and I were acquaintances at the time, but yeah, so I went into the fashion office with her it was such a fun time, but eventually I kind of, after a couple of years of it, I knew that it was time. And I, I'm one of those people, like, I cannot fake something. If something needs to happen, it needs to happen. And so it just became really obvious to everybody around me that I was ready to move on and that mm-hmm. I was unhappy and not in the place that I should be. So... But how was the turn that from... Study nutrition to fashion. Well, to it me, took, I feel yeah. like it wasn't connected. No, I mean, it wasn't at all. I, I've since made some connections, but it... What do you think what the connection was? Well, I just see it as a type of creative growth that I don't know where else I would have experienced. And I mean, everything that is on the path is there for a reason. And I definitely was connected to such amazing people, many of which I'm still friends with, many of which I still get to work with in some capacity. And it's come full circle, and it's really interesting to see those relationships and connections come full circle. But so much of my aesthetic and so much of the way that I create work now has to do with 
being in fashion and not not fashion specifically, but the way that we were taught to look at the world and the way that we were taught to look at culture. And I was just exposed to so many artists and so many people doing really just creating things in the mm-hmm. world using their own form of expression. Right. And so that's really what I've been able to understand and do for myself and mm-hmm. find such just really connect to and right. find my own way of that expression. Mm-hmm. In an interview, you actually talk about your experience at Holtz actually kind of force you to look at culture, art, and fashion in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you mean by that? Um, I mean, I was coming out of a science background, so I was so used to studying the human body and a cellular, really microscopic perspective of the mm-hmm. world. And so then to step out and start looking at the world from this place of connection in a community that is fashion-oriented and art-oriented and really this connected community all around the world. That wasn't how I looked at the world, so that was really new for me. I mean, I always liked to people watch, but I'd never really put the connections together of what was influencing people on like a mass trend perspective or a movie that was coming out or an art exhibit or any of that stuff. So it was really making connections where I had never made connections before. Yeah, I mean, for all of those reasons, I never look at it as something that didn't need to happen. And all of us have these like winding paths too, right? I think I'm just somebody that naturally likes to find those connections and put them together. And it helps me kind of look at the way that everything is affecting the next thing and the way that we can really connect the dots because so many of us are on these winding paths, especially as entrepreneurs and people who are multi-passionate and have different projects on the go. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's really important to kind of do some... I love reflecting, so it's kind of naturally what I do a lot of anyways. I I think it's really amazing to look at all the circles and full circles that come around in relationships with people, with friends. I mean, it's all around us. I think I like to connect the dots. What kind of practical advice you can give to someone? I have a very unwinding path as well. Like my path has been so jumpy all over the place. Looking back, when you see all these different elements, how do you put them together? What kind of practical questions you might ask yourself or what kind of mindset you might have to set for yourself that Mm -hmm. maybe that can be helpful for other people who are also going through a very detouring path? along the way that at the present didn't seem like even connected at all. Yeah. Well, there's always lessons that can be applied in so many different ways. I mean, if you give me an exact example, maybe I can try and... What's your background in? So I feel like we're like in therapy right now. I love it. Yes, my background is journalism, actually. Well, hello. I know. (laughs) So I was actually a TV reporter for a year and a half, and I was doing news, but everything was so sad. Like everything was like a car crash or a political scandal. So I I feel like there was something there wasn't for me. So I took a three hundred sixty drastic turn I got into fashion I love fashion but I always feel like fashion is such a surface thing so for the longest time I'm trying to deny it and trying to set myself apart from the fashion industry because I feel like fashion is so superficial I feel like journalism is such like very noble job so at that time yeah. that was like totally different for me than my mindset and everything but I have to say I got into fashion because I was curious about the industry 
then I, I was um, a fashion market editor for Novella and, and local produced magazine. So I need fast forward and now I'm doing social well, media strategy. Right. So it's like totally different things. I mean, okay, the journalism is, is obvious how that applies and mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't so much the negative media stories that were feeding you and you left for X reason, probably just relating to content and wanting to put out probably a different message into the world. Mm-hmm. Fashion, I mean, you're probably led to that for various reasons. It's not like a totally... I mean, fashion is so universal and it's not always like... I don't even really like the word fashion mm-hmm. um, because it it just goes beyond so much more of that. It, and I, I like style. Right. I think that that is probably more of a, an effective word in my brain. But I mean, the journalism is really obvious with what you're doing with Dear Seekers and mm-hmm. putting out truth and your message and exactly the content and right. stuff that you want to feed yourself and inspire others with. And it sounds like you already have the fashion connections anyway mm-hmm. and that you're connected to people in that field. So I think it's really when you are looking for those connections, instead of feeling bad about jumping around from different fields, it's like, well, what did this really teach me and what were the lessons and how can I reflect on those lessons and how did I grow and what people did I meet in this field that really showed me for better or for worse, that this is really the thing I want to do. There's always those people that come into our lives that really shake you up. I mean, I've had bosses and people and all sorts of people come in that really make you realize, say something mm-hmm. it really hurts you or it feels, or it's like the best thing you've ever heard or whatever it is. Um, and then also using the connections and the network and the people that you met in that field because people do really want to support you and see you do well Mm -hmm. and yeah my transition from fashion to back to nutrition was not easy definitely but uh I was also surprised at how obvious it was to everybody yeah there was a point where it was a little bit more unconscious and then eventually it became like really clear that I actually would rather be doing this work all the time Mm -hmm. than the work that I'm being paid to do so um that was when it became clear that I needed to make a shift Right. Mm-hmm. So in your early 20s, you mentioned you went through a whole soul-searching phase. Mm-hmm. And I actually did that myself as well. I'm probably still going through that. Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, well, I've always been very curious. So I think there's always going to be some... Actually, no, I wouldn't say I'm so much in a searching phase right now, which is nice. But um, there's always an element of curiosity and of growth that I'm always working towards and curious and expanding into but the early 20s part was just about discovering I had discovered yoga and I discovered meditation out of some really stressful periods and I had gotten a little bit sick and so that was when I just started to really evaluate my life and what was working I think it was around 23 or 24 when all of those like really big shifts that were really uncomfortable started coming in and I was with a really good friend of mine at the time and she had a yoga studio and I would go there every day after work and we would just like sometimes just be in a yoga pose and I would just be like crying because mm. I was just so stressed and so it just was not on my path and it was such a painful feeling to be somewhere that felt that you shouldn't be. On November 15, 2015, Tonya posted a very heart-wrenching self-reflection piece on Instagram and shared her soul-searching journey. Her words are so beautiful and deeply resonated with me, so I'm going to read it here for you. I hope I'm not going to butcher it, but here it goes. 
My story is that I have spent most of my twenties in search of self-identification, trying to figure out who I am, what I'm passionate about, trying to dot the lines between my inner desires and the facade of the outside world. At times, it has been a hard place to be, tightrope walking the line of who I thought I should be as a woman versus who I actually was. In that process, I rejected parts of myself. What did this look like for me? At times, a gut-punching discomfort that I didn't belong in what I was doing. What I was doing wasn't landing. The past few years have been an intense phase of exploration into who I am, and through that have come some of the most radical realizations. That when you find out who you are, you be that person. You be that person on purpose. That is the hardest and most important job we have. And it's so hard because it's so easy to get lost along the way. We get socialized. We live in a society that values achievements over wellness, imbalance over balance. We keep climbing up. Somewhere in there, I lost my connection to the most important person, myself. The journey of a twenty-something has come with its fair share of what the fuck I'm doing. But in hindsight, I see. That sometimes we are already doing the things before we are aware that we are actually doing them. Sometimes the future enters us intuitively before we consciously know it. The most important thing we can do is honor that feeling that makes our insides squirm with discomfort. There are jewels of truth there. My story has been a refusal of status quo. A refusal to live up to my own projection of what a woman should be or do. To stop judging myself and start being myself. That is my story, a twenty-something's search for identification, and a ferocious curiosity to ask, what the heck this life means. So now. You just mentioned also about、um, the transition from fashion to nutrition wasn't easy. Well, no, it was. Well, it got to a point where, because I was working at Kitneys at the time, and that was a a company that was really focused on goal setting and intention setting and all that stuff. So,、um, I read a really important book called The Great Work of Your Life, and that book was pretty much the book that made me. Know that I was going to be going back into nutrition,、mm-hmm. and then from there, yeah, I enrolled back into school, and went into school, and I have never even for a second looked back, and and no, it's been like a hundred percent crystal clear that I'm doing what I'm meant to do. So why did you decide to go back to school? Um, I I felt like I had I needed I needed more school. I I didn't want to like tiptoe back in. I wanted to jump in and. I knew that I needed to refresh, and I also didn't feel equipped with my university knowledge to go back in. I knew that I needed more, and, and I wanted it to be from the holistic perspective. Also, just started doing my own types of healing work with holistic practices, so I knew that that was the type of health and wellness that I wanted to be doing and sharing. So, yeah, that was a, it was a pretty. Easy, simple decision. Yeah. And was one year program or two years? I did the one year intensive. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How was it like? 
Um, it was kind of like as you go back to what you originally passionate about, but at the same yeah. time, probably no, something but, new as well. Yeah, it was new, and it's also like because I had I was I now had the perspective that I had that I didn't have previously. It was it felt a bit different, and I was serious about it, and I was I just went in with full force, and I didn't really see friends for a long time. I was always studying. I mean, it was it was the most intense year that I've ever had. And it was also like doing because you're learning so many things. I was testing everything out on my body, so I was doing cleanses all the time and like on a million supplements. And really, like everyone that goes to that school is healing from something. That's、mm-hmm. really what brings us all together. And that is so much of the work as someone in the health field, especially when they go the more holistic route.、Um, so it's a bit of a different perspective. It was a really intense year, but it was. But that was kind of brave that you test all these products or elements, ingredients on your body. I did, yeah. I did some really funny and weird cleanses. Sorry, I'm just gonna grab this.、Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, I did do a lot of weird things, but <laughs> what was the weirdest thing you did? <laughs> well, the weirdest thing I did. Um, I mean, I won't go into details, but the liver gallbladder flush is. Pretty intense and weird. I did a lot of coffee enemas.、Um, I got a kit. I still do those. I love them. And I do liver all butter flushes too. They've gotten less, less weird. And I had a friend. I had a roommate at the time, and we would do everything together. And so it didn't feel that weird at the time. And it's not that weird at all. But to somebody who doesn't know too much about it,、um, it's definitely not your average cleanse. I won't. I will say. But. It was also the healthiest I got, but I never want to recommend something to someone that I've never done myself. I'm all about testing different things. It's,、mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite things to do is just to experiment on the body,、um, especially my own. So yeah, I'm always trying different things, and I probably always will be. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. So that kind of kind of come from the curiosity side of you.、Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. So when did you start the Well Woman? I started the Well Woman. Well, I had the idea for it in January. I was still in school. January 2016, I started developing the website with my sister and the web developer. And so I had the idea then, but I knew that I wouldn't have time to really execute on it until after school. But I was kind of going back and forth. I knew I wanted to create a platform and something to share all of this knowledge that I'd been learning on. And I was going, thinking about a few names, and eventually,、uh, the name felt really right. And with me, it's like the name could go. That decision could go on forever, but when it lands and it's the right one, it's crystal clear.、Mm-hmm. So yeah, I finished school. Well, I finished my program in the summer, and that's when I launched it. And then from there, I was I kind of went back to school. I went and moved to LA for a little bit, and was did an, a culinary program there. Oh, you did. And yeah. And then when I got back home, I started getting into it. So if、uh, for someone who don't know about、uh, what what woman is, how would you describe int- it? Yeah, introduce that to them.、Um, so the well woman is, I would say, it's education based, and it's really educating on holistic health and power of medicinal foods and the power of healthy foods to really. Change and heal your body. I work with clients one on one in a range of ways. I have a program that I guide clients through on a four week process, or it can be up to 
12 weeks as well, just depending on what's really going on for them. We approach things from a mind, body, and spirit perspective, and it has to be the integrated. All three need to be approached because you can't access a healthy body without first directing the mind and the spirit. Mm -hmm. Physical manifestation of disease is actually the last place that it'll manifest. So it is always mental and um, spiritual and emotional first. And from there, um, so, you know, this is the work that I believe in anyways and what I've seen success with in others and myself is that there is always a emotional, mental cause of disease in the body and that will manifest itself. And once you really start approaching healing from that perspective, everything changes and opens up. And it's really, it's usually an emotional process because you're really getting into like what is happening on a subconscious mm-hmm. level and what you truly think of yourself. And a lot of that is has to do with like not loving and accepting ourselves. It's just rewarding to guide people on that path. And yeah, so I mean, I'm just really passionate about teaching people about about the ways of holistic health and really the way that it can open our lives up. And I also do Reiki. That's kind of recent too. Yeah, I've been getting I, I into. wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah. Because I, mean, I actually um, had almost like a life-changing experience with Reiki. Um, so I was in fashion doing like my own startup. And then I knew I wasn't happy. I knew something was going on. But the other side of it internally was um, keep pushing it. Entrepreneurship is hard. Don't give up. But the other side, it's like, this is not what you want to do. Yeah. So it was an internal dialect there. Till It was almost really magical because I went to Reiki the first time. And then the master was just asking me one question. Of course, the energy was beautiful. He just like, what is bothering you? And I was just like bowling, crying. But in like the other side of me was like, what are you doing? Like, what are you crying? Like, there's inner voices there. And then the second day, I just slept a whole day. The, yeah, that the, happens. The third day, I just decided to let my business go. Mm. It was just as magical as that. Didn't yeah. even look back. Yeah. Yeah, a Reiki master is like a portal. They really just open you up. And I think part of it is that when you go to one and when you find the right one and when you're ready for it, you already know what's happening. You already know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You already knew that you were going there to leave your, to let your business go. Really? Yeah, so? I do. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's not, that's your own magic and that's your own power. And he is a facilitator that was able to like, you know, channel that energy so that you would feel the power to do it on your own. And so that magic would be felt through you. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much about the person themselves, the Reiki right. individual, like that person is a channel and it's like not their ego. It's not anything to do with that physical being. Some people have gifts and that's incredible. And I'm sure that master, of course, like anybody who's able to make you cry in an instant, he, yeah, like he's, one question he's a powerful person, yeah. but you know, that's based on his own connection and based on his own experience and ability to channel. But really, that's not all him. By any means, you mm-hmm. showed up and you were the other part of the equation and you were ready and you wanted to make that shift for yourself. So, you know, you deserve a lot of that credit too. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't think about that. I thought I wasn't ready. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. yeah. And we do think that. But I think on a subconscious level, we seek things that we know are bringing to us towards what we need to mm-hmm. move towards. Right. We're oriented to do that even before we know the thing that 
is coming our way, we orient ourselves towards it because we can innately feel the shift and the change that's happening. And it's really uncomfortable and scary, but we're still turning towards that direction because we know that it's the direction that we have to go. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's all in the holistic practice, but why did you decide to also tackle Reiki? Well... First of all, maybe we can talk about what Reiki is, because I feel like a lot of people still don't know know what what it is. Um, So it's a Japanese healing technique um, that is administered through the hands, essentially. And it's a higher energy, healing energy that is accessible to everybody. But you have to go through the training with a Reiki master. And there are symbols that are kind of placed on the body that attune you to the energy so that you can deliver it. That's essentially what it is. It's healing, healing Mm -hmm. touch and energy. It's really powerful. It's really, really powerful stuff. And I was called to do it. I I mean, I don't really always know why we're called to do things. Sometimes you just know that you have to do something. But I guess at the end of 2017, I started feeling like, whoa, Ricky is it's something that's jumping out at me and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start listening for teachers that I start to hear of and that really piqued my interest. And I know that when mm-hmm. the time is right, I'll find the right teacher. And eventually, after four months or so, the teacher kind of appeared and it felt really right. So I have been doing my Reiki training with this master and um, I'm going for level two next week, actually. I'm really excited. Yeah, but I guess I really want to do it just because I want there to be another dimension of the practice. And I think that the energetic work of healing, Mm -hmm. healing energy is so powerful and the energetics is just another piece. And I also want to transfer that to the food that I work with and yeah, really and use it in my practice in a range of different ways. Not only Tanya herself is learning, growing, her business, The Well Woman, is also expanding. How did you put all these elements together? The um, nutrition side, the food, the cooking, Mm -hmm. and then the well-being. From a business perspective, how did you like set yourself apart? I definitely didn't go into it with a business plan, any of that stuff. It was just an outpouring of my heart Mm -hmm. and that's always been my mo with doing something you feel really called to do Mm -hmm. is just approaching it from that angle and then eventually you get to a point where you start looking at the business side of things and you start to be more strategic and when when was that point you feel like "Hmm, maybe i think that was around october september october november of 2017 yeah Mm -hmm. that's what i mean I had, yeah, yeah, that's around the time when I was like, okay, I'm going to start evaluating what I've done this year, and I don't want the year to pass me by without really, really, you know, some strategy, and looking at, like, what is the work that I really want to do, what's the work that's making a difference, how am I spending my time, what is the best use of my time, where am I wasting my time, what am I doing that's not efficient, what am I doing that's actually making me money, how do I survive, all those things just started to become... I was. I just knew that. Yeah, it was time to kind of consider those things, and also it was just one woman. So you realize that yeah. you have limitations with being only one person. So just figuring out, yeah, what how I can be the most useful, and if I'm going to grow, which obviously I'm going to grow. How when you're going to grow? Pardon? Is <laughs> when, not when. if. <laughs> yeah, and I mean it's been continual growth, but yeah, um, yeah looking. Definitely some exciting stuff happening that is in the works right now that I'm so jazzed on. I didn't set up to talk about money with Tonya. 
out of surprise, it ended up being part of our conversation. But you know what is so interesting? This topic actually has so much to do with holistic well-being. Let me explain. But first, I'd like to ask you a question. When speaking of wealth, what came to your mind first? Money? If it is, you are not too far off. When I Google the definition of wealth, this is what showed up: an abundance of valuable possessions or money. But do you know originally, wealth actually came from the old English word "well," W-E-A-L. It means well-being, in a state of fortune, welfare, or happiness. Isn't it ironic that wealth has been twisted to be only associated with money, fortune, and materials? And neglect the most vital elements: well-being and happiness. That's just the way that I see things. I've never been extremely motivated by money in terms of what I do. That's not been my driving force. I think money is energy, and it comes to us, and it's you know a direct representation of our belief system and all that stuff. I, I think that of course we need to have a really good relationship with it. But um, can I also, you elaborate that a little bit? Good relationship with money, because I feel like as a, a lot of artists or in variety of industries are struggling with having that relationship, money myself included、mm-hmm. is like Chinese like saying that money is like really the root of evil or something. Oh, really? Yeah, interesting. It, so can you maybe t- elaborate、sure. a little I bit? Sure. I mean, gosh, I'm no expert, but like I guess these are just my own views too. Is that money is an energetic exchange, and from what I've learned over the past. I've probably learned more about money in the past six months because I have wanted to become more empowered around it and really develop my relationship with it from a different perspective. So I just I think that it comes down to energy and creating really strong boundaries and also trusting in its flow. Money is not a static thing; it's constantly flowing in and out. And I've just developed some like. Different ways of kind of looking at it and interacting with it, and understanding that there are times when there's more of it, and there are times when there's less of it, and that's just its natural state.、Mm-hmm. It's this fluid thing,、um, and I think that there's a lot of interesting work that you can do around the programming that you've received around money, like exactly what you said, like money is the root of evil. Um, that's programming. That's like that's just something that somebody put in your head. And I think when we start to look at what, especially amount around money, since it's such a sensitive topic and something that we've been conditioned to either have abundance around or、right. lack around. Right. So really getting into like, well, what, where do I stand? What are my subconscious beliefs that either、mm-hmm. are blocking and limiting beliefs around how much money I can attract, and what are Or am I in a state of abundance, and do I genuinely know and feel that I have money and that it is coming, and that having a respect and understanding、mm. and kind of like this positive relationship with it is what I really mean by that.、Mm-hmm. That's interesting. There's some work that I've done with. There's a really amazing manifestation advisor named Lacey Phillips. If you're interested, so I've done a few of her unblocked sessions, and she has one around. The magnetism of money, specifically,、mm. and that's where I I did that workshop with her, and it was really useful. And there's also amazing books. There's a book called Money Mirror that you can look into that are around women specific issues, and how women have been kind of socialized around money 
um, and asking for it and some of the programming and belief systems that have been, you know, put in place by getting socialized as kids. Right. And yeah, I feel like there's a lot of like conflicted relationship, um, especially in the art and fashion creative world is that, you know, the world has been idealized um, success equals to money that almost like how much money may you make how much um, um, how big the house is uh, how much stuff you have is equal to success I mean that's gradually changing now but mm-hmm. it has been as you mentioned programmed to a lot of people's mindset at the same time a lot of artists almost feel like taking money being associated with money it's almost sacrifice their pursuit for art because that's going to starve are supposed to be like starving or something right i know and that again is another program and that's also like our self-worth is entirely tied into how much money we're going to ask for and what we're going to demand and what we're going to say like this is what i'm worth that's a really scary thing Mm -hmm. to say oh you want to work with me great like this is what i charge this is my worth do you think i'm worth this much is basically what you're saying when you're asking for or when you're when you're what's the word i'm looking like when you're creating a budget or whatever it is Right. That's true. I didn't yeah. think about that. It yeah. is like that's, both. So that's why self-worth. it's scary and that's why people shy away from it. And it's definitely something that at some point we have to look at, especially if you're a creative person and if you're struggling with these concepts and ideas mm-hmm. and not making enough money or not charging enough for what you're actually worth. Mm-hmm. If you feel that way too, then there's resentment and the relationship, the exchange isn't happening the way that it should. Right. If you're not charging what you're worth and if you are giving more work, then, you know, there's there's sure there are levels in our career. And when we're starting out, we might charge a bit less or whatever the case is. But no, I mean, there's definitely a lot to explore and dig into there around one is worth and the money that they're calling in. Prior to this interview, I had never met Tony in person, except saw her on a panel discussion a while ago. So I had to do a lot of research. But it honestly wasn't difficult at all, because when you Google her name, there are tons of articles written about her already. So I wonder how she gets her ego in check. Oh gosh, I don't know. I don't. I have no. I literally like we should Google me right now because I have no idea what comes up. It's um, like so many pages of you. Hilarious. <laughs> Um, it's always nice to kind of have press and I've gotten some recently that is exciting and, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I really just try not to dwell on it. I think but we do, all do, do like ego? a little bit of, yes, well, I, yeah, we all have, the ego is always present. That is a condition of, you know, that we will all face as humans. But I guess I could, I could say, yeah, how I keep it in check would just be my daily practice of like meditating and coming back to myself and realizing that that when my, my ego is overacting and kind of leading the way that I have the self-awareness to realize what that is. My ego, I guess, it's not like, yeah, so I guess maybe one of my challenges with my own ego would be not so much like looking at stuff of myself online and being like, look at me, <laughs> like that is not happening, I can assure you. But it would be more so like I get caught in states of ego and if I'm comparing myself to others mm-hmm. and, you know. Because that is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with social yeah, media, always, with like all these mm-hmm. things, you still have to post stuff on your social yeah, media. Yeah, I have like, to post stuff and like I try not to scroll and like, interact too too much Mm -hmm. um as a part of my day but 
of course it still happens and when I get caught in a cycle of like looking at something that I'm just like uh, why am I here <laughs> then I just try and get out of it and if it makes me feel icky then I just try and release it and like you know just mm-hmm. let the feeling go but yeah I would say <laughs> that's that but it's funny that <laughs> the google question makes me laugh in the the workshop I went with Khan and you were one of the panels yeah. um, actually you mentioned about you start practicing that from 2017 in May I think that you oh, start yeah. stop making decisions wait I said that yeah <laughs> uh oh wait what what did I say yeah you, you said you start practicing this thing that you just stop making decisions that's hilarious <laughs> not stop making decisions i don't know why i said that no so since may of 2017 i started practicing the sedona method Mm -hmm. which is a essentially it's a a method of release it's a releasing technique where you release on any feeling good or bad and there's a book called the sedona method that i'm sure i talked about that has really been pretty life-changing for me and it's not to say that I've stopped making decisions because that's not the case at all I've definitely had to make decisions the decision process has become easier through using the Mm -hmm. Sedona method because there's less of an attachment on the outcome and things just get clearer when you're able to release some of the emotional charge behind things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> making decisions over here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what is next? What is next? <laughs> I have something so exciting that is next. I don't really know if I can talk about it yet, but it's still a, a baby mm. of mine. But I just came up with the name of it. And oh, so it's a totally different thing. It's a new thing, yeah. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, the old woman will always exist and right. that will always be an extension of me. But um, yeah, it's a new project and it makes sense. It's like just something that I need to bring to life. You're teasing us now. I know. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, no, it'll it'll probably happen. I hope pretty quickly. There's a lot that needs to happen. It's mm-hmm. like a real kind of startup approach to things. But I'm so excited to bring it into the world and it's something that we really really need that has huge impacts on health and our planet so oh great Mm -hmm. well next year we'll bring you back again and we can talk about that well hopefully in six months that's my goal we'll see okay yeah awesome so now just some rapid fire questions okay are you ready i'm ready okay the scenario is like the robots are going to take over the world (laughs) or aliens okay and then they're going to wash out everybody's memories Every person on this planet can keep three f- memories. So what other three memories you want to keep? Mm-hmm. Um, the memory of my parents, of my sister, and uh, my boyfriend. And the same scenario, but three choose. <sighs> um, hmm, that's tricky. The truth that... Uh, hmm. And then we'll just like pause it and you'll make it sound like I answered faster. Yeah. <laughs> and I will edit this part out. <laughs> okay, thanks. Three truths. Um, okay. First truth. The truth that only love is what really matters and is what we are all made of. Um, second truth. That... Food has the power to heal us. Third truth, that the magic of nature is real. Wow, so beautiful. What's your definition of love? 
My definition of love is... Well, I think there are many stages of love. Mm-hmm. I think love is a lot about compassion and understanding and trust and passion and choosing, like a daily choosing. Really just making a conscious decision to be and show up for someone and to choose them and to support each other and to laugh together and to just like have a really good time. And if you have to be turned into an animal right now, which animal would you choose? Mm, maybe an eagle. I love eagles so much and it would be amazing to fly. What's your favorite season? Summer. Last one. What are you currently seeking? Such a good question. It's hard. Mm. I am clearly seeking a new way forward. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you so much. That was so much fun. That was fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was such an honor and pleasure to chat. (laughs) No, it was honor was mine. (laughs) Great. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation of Tanya. Please head to iTunes to give us a review or meet Dear Seekers on Spotify. Each woman we feature has also shared a playlist with you on Spotify. And as always, photos captured by my dear friend Vayu Law are also available now on DearSeekers.com. You can find all of Tanya's recommendations there. And I'm so excited to finally share the first open mic from Dear Seeker, Shayla. Hello, my name is Shayla Bond, and I am 27 and I live in Toronto. I am a full-time freelancer or consultant, as I prefer to say. I am an illustrator at Bond Illustration, my own business, and I own Bond Creative, which provides digital content to brands and businesses alike. I think there's this reoccurring theme throughout these interviews of you have to leave Toronto to be recognized. And I think that's a little sad because in a way we create this self-fulfilling prophecy or perpetual circle of the dragon eating its tail. I feel like we have so much talent here that when people leave the city for others to gain that recognition they deserve, it's almost when they come back that the credit is owed to somewhere or someone else, and we keep getting stuck with this label that Canada only follows the crowd when the creatives here are kind of, as Danielle Seppa mentioned, ahead of the curve or too ahead of the times. It was only two years ago that MasterCard dropped as Toronto Fashion Week's major sponsor and it fell apart. And the number one problem people cited is just that Canada doesn't provide the support to the industry that designers need. I'm curious, what kinds of things could we be doing to break this cycle or be the new industry leaders when so much of our talent really are ahead of the times and they deserve the credit? If Shayla's thoughts or questions resonated with you in any way, you can connect with her on Instagram at bushclass, B-U-S-H-C-L-A-S-S. And if you want to share, you know what to do, right? It's easy. Just record with your phone and send it my way to heyideaseekers.com. Hope to get to know and hear from you soon. See you in two weeks. Until then, happy seeking.